United States, for example, has been our foundational support, but also United States is now polarized by so many needs around the world. But when we got our independence from Islamic government to the north, I think you don't hear much about Sudan anymore. While Americans who want to give don't realize they're not getting enough information yes. about what's going on. Yes. Army struggling to try to get the message out because people say, well, they're independent now, what do they need? But the rebuilding effort is equally important because the people are displaced just as I described. Yes. How will they stand on their feet? Well, we are here at the 2023 National Religious Broadcasters Convention. Hi, I'm Byron Tyler. We're in Orlando, Florida, and having a wonderful time meeting folks from a variety of ministries. And that's one of the things I enjoy about coming to this convention is opportunities to sit down with so many different people who are engaged in the kingdom of God to bring the greatest message to the world of Jesus Christ, the gift of salvation that is offered through Christ only and I'm so thankful for these brothers and sisters that we get to meet and like I say it's such a variety of ministries I love how organic these times are you just bump into people in the hallway or you'll be standing in line you start talking to someone I met William Levy and William has a ministry that he's involved with it's pretty interesting it's Operation Nehemiah Missions and he's the founder and overseer of this ministry and originally William is from South Sudan but yes. he is a U.S. resident and we're gonna find out more details William welcome to the Bot Radio Network thank you so much brother Byron for really inviting me yesterday it was providentially that God put you uh, in touch with me and in a way we cross paths and then all of a sudden <laughs> th this happened he he set this up well, way in advance <laughs> I, I like these divine appointments and I yes. and even in the middle of that well, you had to wait a little bit I apologize it kind of backed up we start people come up to you as you were getting ready to get somebody walked up and said hey I want to be interviewed when you set a microphone up at the NRB convention people come out of the woodworks they're ready to be they're ready to talk about their ministry right yes <laughs> yeah, yeah. but I love that because it gives us an opportunity to be a voice and that's what Bot Radio Network is all about and that's what this program Mid-South Viewpoint is all about amen is I love to meet people and tell stories and that's what we want to do today so let's back up if we can your earliest memories of growing up in South Sudan what do you remember about your family your family life your parents just living in South Sudan well um I was uh, raised in a Messianic Jewish home in Sudan, and I was uh, basically discipled by my grandfather in his uh, congregation. And then I got saved at the age of uh, 12. And uh, when I was a little boy, he gave me, two, uh, that's the most vivid memory I have right now, is that he put uh, an axe and a Bible on the table and he asked me to choose the weapon of my warfare here are the weapon for you so which one will you choose and Your grandfather did this yes my grandfather uh, before he he basically uh lay hands on me and pray for me and that was the day of my baptism permission he said here are the weapon for you uh, he was quoting ephesians chapter 6 uh, verse 10 to 18 in the flesh, I was going to grab the, the, the axe, but my hand went on the Bible, and he said, you understood the nature of the warfare we are fighting. Well, and, and, and then when the war of persecution, Islamic persecution came, and I, you know, I was uh, forced by Islamic regime to give up my faith. But I say no. I stood 
for my faith. I will not deny Jesus' name because he said, well, if you deny my name in front of man, I will deny you in front of my father. Oh, William. So can you describe that? Because we're talking primarily to a North American audience here. We do have those uh, listening on our podcast platforms, you know, and various interviews that they're being able to, to hear. But when you say that you basically, if you did not deny Christ, you would have lost your life or you were being threatened, right? If you didn't accept Christ as my Lord and Savior, they would not have any border. But because the, because of the name of Jesus Christ is a, is a rock of offense. And then the, the, the work of the enemy is to, um, to threaten our life. And that because that name is the name of truth. And so if we don't have it in our hearts, and then it's easy to give up, but that's no substitute for salvation. Yes. Muhammad didn't die for me, yes. and, he, and he didn't rise from the dead for me, but Jesus is dead. <laughs> and there's no name given in heaven or earth by which men can be saved except the name of Yeshua, Jesus Christ. Amen. That's Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Amen. I fundamentally believe that. So you came to a place where you had to publicly say that you were not going to denounce your faith. Now, what did those... What did the, the Muslim group do once you stood strong on what yeah, you believed? Yeah, they put me in prison and they want me to, I was a teenager and they want me to, they want me to uh, give up my faith. And I say, you know what, I will not, even if I need to have to die, I will die for my faith. However, providentially, I was uh, let go. And how much time did you spend in prison? About three weeks. About three weeks. Yes. And, and during that time, what were the conditions like in prison? Yeah. You know, because they think they can actually mold your mind. So the, what they do is basically they they think by punishing you, by keeping you in prison, you will easily, you know, they can mold you, they can actually force you, and, and they get you get caned and you get beaten. I was beaten and I was, uh, uh, brain, you know, brainwashed, kind of like they wanted to tell you, oh, we believe in Jesus too. I said, okay, if you believe in Jesus, do you believe in his resurrection? Did you, did you believe that he, he rose from the dead? They don't believe that. So I said, that is the, the climax of our faith. If you reject the, the uh, resurrection, there's nothing left there. So you really don't believe in Jesus, you know. So they have these uh, uh, convoluted lies and deception. And then, then so he's one of the prophets, but Muhammad is the ultimate. And then I say, absolutely not. And uh, so that was the time. As this was going on, my country erupted in the war persecution uh, that drove my father and my mother and my sibling into Ugandan refugees. Well, we know about Darfur and the atrocities that happened there. Yeah, this was Sudan before they were split up. Yes, this was before the Constitution. Yeah, this was 85, 84. Providentially, the Lord took me out of the country by the way of Egypt, and then I went to France and then came to the U.S. Okay. And then when I was here, the war of persecution intensified in my country. My mother was killed. No, my, my father was killed in 1987 and my mother died in the refugee camps in Uganda in 1994. And uh, my, my brothers and sisters were displaced in the refugee camps. So when I was in New Jersey, I went to university there and got an engineering degree. 
I was going to live my life here well, you know, but the Lord said, I call you here to be a voice because one day I saw a little girl newsletter put out by Newsweek magazine and there was a, a, a South Sudanese young girl in the field and this girl was stooping down very weak. The vultures were hovering these little girls and her village was burned down to the ground. I realized this young girl grew up in me. That's no different between her and me. Yes. The only difference is that I managed to come to America, she didn't. So, but there's countless number of young people in Sudan that were killed and were abducted and taken into Islamic camps and never to be seen. So that's when I realized God brought me here for a purpose. So I went on to reading the book of Nehemiah and then I was challenged by Nehemiah's vision to come back to Israel from the Babylonian captivity to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Yes. So that's where the name came from. Okay, and so today a ministry is working in South Sudan, which you are, again, the founder and overseer, Operation Nehemiah Missions. Now, what are some of the projects? What are you involved with doing, and how often do you go back to South Sudan? Are you able to? I mean, the conditions, I know there was a time a new government was formed when they, the split from South Sudan, a constitution that I believe there was actually a Christian president that was appointed in that role. But since that time, things have changed. Things have gotten desperate and, and difficult for the people of South Sudan. Yeah. You know, when the country split into, into the Muslim government to the north, they did not succeed in taking over the country, but they succeeded in actually causing massive destruction to the family structure, the church, and because tens of thousands of people died for their faith, but several thousands and millions of in exile, I ended up in the United States and I have a better condition here, but the, those who live in the refugee camps in Uganda, in Kenya, in Ethiopia, they had nowhere to go and they have been washed by the UN, social engineering, so their family was broken. So our ministries, Operation Human Mission, is now to give hope to these hopeless people who are returning from exile to take hold of their country. So, but so many, many of these people who have left uh, South Sudan are now starting to return, is that yes, right? They, they are beginning to re return. But when they're returning, they're returning to nothing. There was nothing there. But how do you rebuild in a country where you start? Yes. So what we did was, you got to start from ground up. What do you start with ground up? And let's talk about the infrastructure that it was is left behind. Is is these residents of South Sudan are starting to return to their homeland? What are they discovering when they get there? When they returned, there was nothing. That I came back in 2004 for the first time after 18 years. When I was there on the ground, the entire country, the entire region where I grew up, was turned into wilderness. There were no roads. Landmines were everywhere. Elephants were roaming the road, and there there are rebel groups all over the place. So it was like I don't know even how to call it rebuilding because there's nothing really to to start with now, but rebuilding the human life at that point. So we have to start with rebuilding the community from ground up by first teaching people to take personal responsibility, self-governance. So we have to disciple individuals, and secondly, we have to help restore the family unit which has been demoralized and split up by this war. And then, then we have to deal with the issue of uh, raising up the church, the, the shepherd, the pastors to help 
But William, you're describing what seems to be an impossibility. Well, I mean, how do you do this with with, with such dismal conditions and distraught? It, it is. It was the faith God has given me and the vision. I realize, even if. I start with the family, is rebuild the family. You still they need the faith. If yes, they need faith. Then even when they have the faith, they still have to eat and and have you know eat and raise and have education and have medical facility. So we realize we gotta have this holistic approach to deal with the whole thing. Can I stop you there, William? I love what you understand that the foundation of every society is the family. That's the way God began it in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden yes. when he started the institution of a family. Yes. So in order to, to, to make uh, life out of chaos, which is what, is what you were trying to do in yes. the middle of so much war-torn South Sudan, so much, uh, you know, there's no infrastructure and all this happening, you first have to change the heart of the family. Yes, that was number one because the enemy tried to destroy the family. When you destroy the family, everything goes. And because from the church, you have the you have the church, a strong family, a strong church, a strong church, a strong government, a strong community. So I realized this is a chronology of things I need to do. So once we start discipling the the, the community, we restore the marriages. Uh, people begin to value family according to Genesis you just described. And then we see out of that, we follow the book of Acts, Paul's principle of ordaining pastors, uh, according to the book of Titus, according to the book of Timothy. Yeah. So, uh, Peter, how do you pull all these groups now to separate the flock? That was the next steps. And then from there, we ask them to see the land God has given. Why do we have the land now. God has given us the land. It's an independent country. Yes. But people need to work the land. William, what were some of the biggest obstacles and challenges when you first returned, I think you said 2004, was it, that you returned to uh, South Sudan for the yes. first time after 18 years? When you you saw the devastation and you, of course, you, you God started giving you this vision and the, the way to to platform this ministry through the family, which I love that. I think that's very biblical. Uh, but what were your obstacles? You know, usually when you have a people who have been oppressed, you know, when you look, look at the children of Israel, when they came out of the, you know, being in bondage to Egypt for so long, and God was trying to move them, you know, through the wilderness, there was many times they wanted to go back to Egypt, you know? Yeah, yeah. So do, do you find that to be a challenge? Yes, I find it to be a, a big challenge because people are used to the refugee camps in Uganda. They don't want to go back. They want to depend on the uh, UN hands out because they have become re uh, relief dependents. And what's crazy about that, William, is the conditions in these refugee camps are atrocious. I mean, they are not, you know, good conditions. I mean, people are bunched into these small quarters. Uh, you know, uh, the conditions are not good. I'm not sure about all the medical and the food, if everything is, you know, is just like you would want it. But I mean, they're not the best way to live in a refugee camp. It's not the best way, but once the uh, people are conditioned to think that there's no hope for them, the UN is their hope, and then they they believe that. But we plucked them out of there. We told them God has rescued you from the grip of Islamic uh, control and gave you a country. Now it's time for you to go back and toil and labor. So 
few, like even when the Israelites left Egypt, all right, uh, those who uh, those who oppose Moses, they want to go back to Egypt. There, but those who really want to go to the want to go to promise. So there are the few core people uh, join us. I think one of the biggest challenges we have in South Sudan is raising leaders. Once the leadership is established, and then we begin to move for, uh, forth, forward. And those leaders came out of the Word of God and the pastors. And today, I think we have seen tremendous difference. Not in all of the people, but the remnants who took the initiative in obedience, like Joshua and Caleb, say, God has given us the land of milk and honey. We are going to it, no matter what. Even if there were giants in the land, we will go there. Yes, because God ordained it. And God, you know, I remember the late Dr. Adrian Rogers says, where God guides, he provides. And so if God is guiding, he's going to make the provision, even though it might seem very unclear at the moment. Absolutely, it's, it's in the hand of God because when we went there into South Sudan 2004, 5, 6, 7, 8, it was complete wilderness. But that's when you see God's hand on it because then the success was not of us, it was of Him. He protected us. And we were running Jesus' movie in the middle of nowhere, and there was Uganda rebels and Sudanese Islamic government troops in the bushes. They never came to attend, attack our, our camp. We were able to, to do what we're doing. And fast forward now, uh, 20, uh, 2010, we were able to get see people coming home in droves. So we start planning churches. Today we have 10 pastors. And I'm going in June 12 to ordain five more. And uh, so now they're shepherding the flock of Christ. Yes. And the family's been strengthened. we helping them to work with their own hands. And so they're raising food. Until of the reason, 99% of food were imported from Uganda. Today, 100% of food I will race within South, South Sudan. Sudan. <laughs> That's beautiful. And something else that you told me about when we first met, William, there's, a, I think, a radio station or a radio yes. program or something that's being u- also used to encourage the church there? Yes. You know, in 2002, I had this uh, this wild dream because the Islamic government was destroying all the, all the uh, any infrastructure, they, they, they bombed it uh, from from the air with the Russian made Antonov. We, t- we decided to put a radio, mobile radio station and a clinic on the wheel. So we drive 10 miles, we pull up the mask, we broadcast the gospel in different languages. And when we're done, we treat people with medicine and we go to the next one. But the Bible says if you're favorable with a little, he will bless you with much. So in 2007, he gave us a 300-foot tower. <laughs> on top of a 2,800-foot mountain. <laughs> and boom, right on the border with the Uganda and South Sudan, now we have a state-of-the-art radio station. Uh, that station reached like 100 miles in, 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 uh, in radius. A radius, yeah. So that is like, over, like 160 miles or 200 miles all around. Wow. Covering a huge region yes. of both Sudan and Uganda. Those who were in the camp, 
don't want to come home, they hear the gospel because we challenge them from there. <laughs> Those who are in the country, we tell them now, um, guard the fort. Guard the fort. Guard the fort. So we open <laughs> orange orchard, bananas, mangoes, and then we have entrepreneurial venture, beekeeping, and medical facility. Um, one of my last success, what we just done, we opened elementary school uh, with 350 students, and I'm going to open a polytechnic institute. In it, we are going to train, it's going to be one year program, top. We are going to train people to learn broadcasting, this one of the field we're going to do. And we bring, uh, we're training nurses, clinicians, pharmacists, agricultural, IT, auto mechanic, electrical engineering, and we are going to do hotel tourism, and we are going to do theological studies. <laughs> and, and so we wanted to keep South Sudanese from being drain, brain drained, because most of them leave the country and never come back. But who will rebuild the country? Yes. They got to stay there. Well, William, are you seeing additional support? Are you, are you seeing other groups that are catching your vision and are you seeing positive changes are we are we moving in the right direction i know your efforts are designed to push forward the new south sudan under the banner of the lord jesus christ and to, to follow his will and purpose uh as a country obviously the islamic state's going to be opposed to that but within this new reach for South Sudan, are you getting are you getting support? Are you seeing people come along and other groups trying to do what you're doing there? Well, I think the United States, for example, has been our foundational support. U.S. generosity of American Christian is is a it's amazing. But also, United States is now polarized by so many needs around the world. And when one country, let's say, Sudan was the highlight of, uh, of the day back in the late 90s. But when we got our independence from Islamic government to the north, I, I think you don't hear much about Sudan anymore. While Americans, uh, Christians who want to give, don't realize they're not getting enough information yes. about what's going on. Yes. So... I'm struggling trying to get the message out because people say, well, they're independent now. What do they need? But the rebuilding effort is equally important because the people are displaced, just as I described. Yes. How will they stand on their feet? So that's why I'm here. That's why I want to get this message out, that the rebuilding effort is even more than the, the destruction itself because it's, it was easy to destroy. But now how to get people back on their feet? Well, you know, and I have brought this story of South Sudan to our Bite Radio Network listeners. We have in Memphis uh, a body of believers from Sudan, Sudanese church that meets in our city. There was a pastor, Nasser Kradu, I believe. I'm not saying his name properly, but uh, Nasser uh, was from the Nuba people. And, uh, the Nuba, yeah, and, and, and but they were the Nuba people were struck, caught in the middle between the north and south, you know. And so he was able to go in and take supplies. It was a, it's an a, amazing story we've shared on this program. But so many of our bot radio network listeners have followed the story and the plight of South Sudan and the, uh, the Sudanese people and have prayed for it and are concerned about, you know, the, the prosperity of, of, this, uh, of this land uh, and, and, and its people. But obviously with your 
passion and your work, again, with Operation Nehemiah Missions, which is so exciting to hear these stories and hear what God has placed on your heart. And I can't help but think our listeners would like to to know more. They might want to know how they can pray, maybe how they can give and help support your work. What can they do? Well, um, I'm looking for prayer partners, and but I also looking for people who can tangibly contribute to the effort. For example, as we speak, I'm raising uh, $78,000 to put in uh, a telemedicine uh, machine. It is uh, the whole hospital in a small kiosk and, uh, and it's solid driven. And uh, out of that, we can train seven different medical professions and also connect them with doctors here from the U.S. who could not go, but they can diagnose people using this equipment. Um, so I can, you know, people, that address I have in there uh, for Operation Human Mission and the website, if you can give it out. Oh, yes, let's do that. Now, the address yeah. I have is P.O. Box 563, and that's Lanesboro, and that's L-A-N-E-S-B-O-R-O-U-H, Yes, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Yeah. And the zip is 01237. And you can reach my brother William here if you would like to correspond with him at his email address, L-E-V-I Levy Family at OperationNehemiah.org. The website, again, is OperationNehemiah.org for Correct. more information, too. Brother, could I give you your cell phone number if folks wanted to call you directly? Yeah, please. It's got come direct. And the number is 413-770-4711. And I would encourage you to contact my dear brother. Pray Thank for him in this ministry. What about your family? I have a... I have a family. I'm married. I have eight children. You have eight children. Yes, <laughs> six six girls, two boys. My yes. So there's never a bore a boring moment in your home, right? Never a boring moment in your home. No, no. no. <laughs> and my children and uh, my spouse, we, we have been to South Sudan together. I brought them with me more than 14 times. Wow, that is beautiful. Well, I I love the story here, William. God bless you. Thank Thank you so much for sharing with Bot Radio Network. Let's remind our friends that we're coming to you from the 2023 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Orlando, Florida. We're in the exhibition hall. We're visiting wonderful folks like William Levy sharing the story again of Operation Nehemiah Missions. And I encourage you to go to the website and reach out to our dear brother. Pray for him in this work. God bless you, William. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you. Thank you. Well, friends, we're going to wrap up this portion of our segment here from the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Orlando. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. 